Hey everybody, welcome back to Hope Nevada. We are so excited to talk to you guys again this week and we have uh, once again some special guests in with us today and so I'm going to let Whitney go ahead and introduce, introduce you guys to our guests. Yes, sure. Well, we have two guests today. Uh, first, we have Jen Robinson, who is the Youth Intervention Director and also co-founder of Awaken here in Reno. And we also have Chantelle Brewer, who is the Public Prevention Coordinator for Awaken. If you're not familiar with Awaken, Awaken conducts outreach and provides direct services to women and girls to help them transition out of commercial sexual exploitation. So I'm going to turn it over to Jen and Chantel and kind of let you introduce yourself and what you do. Great. Thanks for that. Um, commercial sexual exploitation is a really big word. And so just to break it down a little bit simpler, it's the legal and illegal forms of prostitution which is important because in Nevada, we are the only state that has legalized some forms of prostitution. And so for us, it doesn't matter if you're coming out of a legal area, including the brothels or the strip clubs or illegal areas, um, you know, street prostitution, online prostitution, it does not matter because we see the abuse as the same. And so we offer a wide array of services. The youngest um, has been 11 and the oldest has been over 50, 60, I believe. And so when we look at who's in front of us, their needs are very similar, depending on where they're coming out of. And so we meet with them individually to really find out what their needs are. As a youth intervention director, we started that program about two and a half, three years ago, really meeting the need um, in our community. We're seeing more and more girls, younger and younger, become identified. And so as a solution to the problem that we were seeing, we created the youth program. And another reason for that is why we hired on Chantel as well to go into the schools and really fight from a prevention standpoint. Which is my role. So I, as a public prevention coordinator, that's a mouthful, but it basically means that I'm the public speaker. Uh, lots of people will do public speaking for our organization, but I specifically go in with the idea of bringing awareness, especially with the youth and anyone who is at risk. We find that at risk means at risk for everything. So we coordinate with a lot of different services here in town. And so that's sort of my role is connecting with those people so that if they identify someone in a school, a student in a school who possibly is a, a child in transit, somebody who's living out of their car, even if it's with a family or uh, in, a, in a weekly or something, what we find is so many times, and the, the data is uh, terrifying, but if someone is homeless, they are typically, as a youth, they are trafficked or get into some sort of prostitution very quickly. It's mm -hmm. about it's about 48 hours sometimes. Wow. And oh, so it's, it's quick. And so if I can come in and first help them, I, the kids even identify that grooming is something that what it means to be at mm -hmm. risk, what they need to be identifying. Because sometimes you'll get, I mean, we've found that money is uh, irrelevant you know your socioeconomic status is irrelevant in this sort of situation with kids that kids from really affluent areas are just as commonly trafficked uh, as kids from really low socioeconomic areas so it's irrelevant so we, I go around everywhere I talk in the schools I help educators to understand indicators and what their options are educating these kids is a fully different ball game from educating kids who, uh, even kids who are living out of their cars. You know, there's a lot of, I'm a, a career educator, I've been a mm -hmm. teacher for over 24 years. And so when I have kids like this, who I know that are at risk, my approach with them is fully different 
than any other student just because of so much that's gone on inside of their brains, what they've been exposed to, the trauma, the, uh, just how their brains have been rewired and how they learn. And that's, there's a learning curve with that. And so my job is to come into the schools and speak with educators and even parents and youth groups and say, hey, this is what you need to be paying attention to. And this is why all of your previous tactics as a youth leader, that it's not gonna work here. There has to be a different approach. So I, I help teach those. And I think something you mentioned, Chantel, and maybe I'll get you to like just expand on this a little bit, is the idea that so many of these um, kind of issues kind of intertwine. They commingle with each other. And so there's no, uh, you know, whether it's homelessness or uh, poverty, socioeconomic poverty, all of these kind of things, they all lead to kind of the same behaviors at times, right? There's that intersection, and everyone we talk to, we kind of hear that as a common theme that none of these things really stand alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so what are some behaviors, you mentioned homelessness, especially being such a quick gateway mm-hmm. to that kind of behavior, which makes some sense, I think, in most people's heads. What are some other kind of common um, vulnerabilities. vulnerabilities maybe are there that you guys see show up time and time again that maybe people could, should just be aware of or kind of um, you know on the lookout for maybe? You want to talk about the common ones and I'll talk about the kid, the education side? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I see there's a number of vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. And so, like Chantel said, it spans across socioeconomic status. I sure. have youth on my caseload right now that come from single parent mom homes, single parent dad homes, mm-hmm. two parent homes that make 100000 plus a year, yeah. as well as foster care. However, I do believe those are added vulnerabilities when they do come from broken homes. Sure. I would say love is one of the main things that the girls and boys are looking for is that mm-hmm. desire to be seen, heard, cared for, provided for. And so when that is not met, that is the number one vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Also drugs, um, runaway is a big one. Like Chantel said, within 48 hours, you could be picked up for trafficking. Mm-hmm. Cause if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, sure. your basic rung is not being met. Yeah. And so if you don't know where your next meal is coming from, where you are going to lay your head at night, mm-hmm. you're going to be looking for it anywhere. Mm-hmm. And sure. when somebody swoops in and can provide that for you, mm-hmm. you're going to take it. And so a lot of times with the younger kids, we see what we term survival sex, mm-hmm. sex in exchange of basic survival. And so the payment, if you will, could be in the form of a bed, a couch mm-hmm. to sleep on, food, mm-hmm. on up to, we see drugs, we do see, um, what are some of the other common ones? Some of it is um, just finding that place to fit. And mm-hmm. so it can be things like, well, I didn't have a lot of, I'm not allowed to have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to, my family, I want more expensive things and just that kind of the people that are in, the kids that are in that poverty mindset mm-hmm. those are the things that if they think I've arrived if I have these things these are the things that are missing in my life mm-hmm. and then at the other end of the spectrum you have wealthy families who are very disjointed not all sure. but in the in these mm-hmm. at-risk cases you have that they're right. so disjointed mom is possibly a, a, a drinker, you know, over the counter, stressed out, I'm kind of holding down everything while dad is a workaholic and and their family time is handing over money and things to their kids rather than relationship. And so it all really comes down to what Jen was saying with Maslow's hierarchy. It's those for, excuse me, those first four rungs that are just not being met, mm-hmm. those levels and it 
so I was raised in Vegas where gang mentality was a huge, um, that was just a huge part of my upbringing. And so I very often, when I hear the stories from our girls and um, just many survivor stories, it's so the same exact idea. And it comes to, I need a place to fit. Something really fundamental is missing in my human uh, hierarchy of needs. And I'm going to take it through the path of least resistance. And so whether you are at risk, so that's why none of like the category of how sure. you're at risk seems to matter mm-hmm. is what we're finding is because the real risk factor is what's missing in that, in that hierarchy. And so if you don't have safe people, having a, a family unit, even if it, blood has nothing to do with that, that's that gang mentality. If you have a family unit, even if they sell you, mm-hmm. abuse you, ask you to do mm-hmm. horrific things, you know, insist that you do a drive-by, something like that, mm-hmm. it's worth it because you, in your mind, have said, this is what I need, and as long as this thing is filled, as long as this love or this family unit, if I can still have this, it's worth it mm-hmm. to do these other things. I'm willing to overlook it. And then our, you know, our, our, our brains are just not made for any of those kind of traumas, especially sure. not doing any of those traumas or having them done to us. And so you get into an entire a whole other science of the brain and mm-hmm. and the trauma bond and, and the rewiring, the actual re... Um, if you look at a brain scan of someone, a kid who's been through trauma or a kid who's been trafficked or just large trauma over and over and over again, it's physically very different than a healthy mm-hmm. uh, brain of, of the same. It, it, it physically changes. Well, so the neural network sense. rewires itself oh, based yeah. on experience, right? right? So, I mean, it's... Um, yeah, it... it I think that's something that people miss a lot is this idea, and, and I think you guys bring up a great point in that so many of the common factors that we try to look for now, they, they don't, don't they, they're not consistent, mm-hmm. right? And I think one of the things you said was, you know, and <clears throat> you mentioned the idea of, of you know, grooming kids, um, and the people who engage in those kind of activities are smart enough to recognize whether it's emotional mm-hmm. lack, physical lack, Right, they can key in on that stuff, and uh, and oh, they do. They've made it. They've made it a. If we were going to have a job in any place, you know, we would set goals for ourselves. We would, um, we would approach a job. I want to be successful at this. So here are the things I'm seeing now that I've spent time in this job. These are the things that I need to do to be successful. And mm-hmm. traffickers, 100 percent, have the sure. same mentality. They're actually fantastic business people, which yeah. is terrifying. Because they are willing, and, and this is out of the mouth of traffickers, they are willing to put in the time it takes mm-hmm. so that they'll say, so that your kids trust me more than they trust you. They, sure. they already, as, as they approach adolescence, a teenager, they already think their parents are complete morons, right? It's just right. like something that drops down into their brain. Even in the healthiest, I have, I have adult and all teenage children, and we've been super invested with our kids. And I, I know the minute they wake up one morning, and I'm like, oh, I'm the dummy again. And yeah. so it's me reminding them who I am and who we are in relationship and really being intentional with that. And so not every what happens is a lot of parents are like, well, you guys are getting older now. You don't need me to be involved. Mm-hmm. A lot of moms go back mm-hmm. to work because now the kids aren't small. And sure. and so, you know, they have more capacity to kind of be on their own. Kids can come home. They're home alone. They have access to Internet. They just are uh, being exposed to a lot more, and there's a lot more freedoms. But the problem is that 
their brains are still, I mean, our brains grow in stages and not ages. It isn't like you were 13 then, so you're 14 now, so here's this phone, and uh, which I say is basically like handing your kid over into a room full of strangers where For you sure. know some of these people are going to be safe, some of these people are going to speak up when you're hurting, and some of them are going to be pedophiles. And I'm going to leave you to it to decide who's who, yeah. and good luck in there. You're 14, you know? good luck navigating this, yeah, the right. minefield, right? <laughs> On that, can you talk? I feel like what you were saying kind of plays right into this, but I know through just education and awareness that I've received for Awaken, one consistent theme I've heard is that when we hear the term sex trafficking, our mind kind of immediately goes to take in the Liam Neeson right. movie. Like yeah. we're, we're picturing like dark rooms with scary creepy people that surely our radar would go off knowing this is wrong and it's a scary thing and awaken has helped me realize no that's not how it happened that's that's not often how it happens right. there's a different trust factor there's a different family factor can you talk a little bit about that maybe the perception of how sex trafficking happens versus the reality of how it happens yeah. we yeah we i'm jen and i both probably have uh, i have a million stories popping in my mind but as an educator in the classroom, I look out at my, my students, I get to know my kids, and you know, you're with them for six and a half hours a day, you're with them for 10 months out of the year, which is sometimes way more than what their parents are with, and so you sure. get to pick up as an educator, mm -hmm. you sort of get to know, and they're totally different humans away from their parents, you know? So I often work with fifth grade and up, middle school, high school, so a lot of our vulnerable ages, that 10 years old is a really, the right before we start to identify some at-risk students, um, and so what we find is when, I guess when there are, like I was going back, to, uh, like I was saying a minute ago, where the trafficker is willing to be whoever you need them to be. So mm -hmm. sometimes it is an older boyfriend. Sometimes it is, you know, if you're, if you're 12 years old, but you don't look like you're 12 years old, you know, a lot of times the, the girls, they, they dress differently. They um, present themselves to hang out with an older crowd. And then you have a 17-year-old who thinks that you're really cute and is willing to spend a few months with you. That's kind of the lover boy method. Mm -hmm. And then there's other times where they just come in and they realize you don't have a solid family unit and so you need more of a father figure. And so they're going to mm -hmm. come in as maybe an early 20-something and say, you know, I'll take care of you. I will give you this bed. And, and okay, now I've given you this bed for three months. So, you know, now you owe me. When you didn't know you were going to owe me, but now but now you, you owe me. Mm -hmm. So there are so many different... It, they don't have to kidnap you. You know, in other countries that's more prevalent because of the law there, there's not CPS in other countries like mm -hmm. we have here. You know, we don't have, there's not nearly as many laws protecting children in other countries as we have here. So there, that can be their, their MO. Here, they don't even need to. They can, mm -hmm. it, it seems, that's why it seems as if so many of the kids or the women and children choose it because they walk over and they get into the car. But they've known this person, mm -hmm. this guy who's been sitting outside of their middle school for three months, hanging out with them, and I just like hanging out with you. And they get to know them, and they ask them all these questions. So it isn't necessary for them to commit that sort of a felony when they can just convince you that we're in love, and you come and get in my car. They're offering them something much, much simpler. It's so much. It feels so much easier. I think about the loyalty aspect, mm -hmm. and loyalty is really prevalent and strong on the streets. And it is in every relationship. Sure. And so think about kidnapping. If I were to pluck you off the streets, you're not loyal to me. You're going to run any chance you get. You're going to talk 
as soon as you can to get away from that person. But the girls feel that we work with, they feel such a deep sense of loyalty mm. to their trafficker. Whether that's like, this was my boyfriend, I was in love with him, or even almost that savior complex of, he provided for me when I didn't have anything. He cares about me. He cares about me. Nobody else cares about me, because I do believe that lie, but he does. And he's the one who says, you can always come back. So even if a girl chooses to leave, he says, I've seen your past. I know what you've done, and you're always welcome here. Mm. And especially when the girl does choose to get out, the process between getting out and going back, it, mm. it happens quite a bit. Because when they get back into our world that we've created here, they don't have that same sense of protection, safety, school, rumors, and how kids now perceive them. They mm. no longer feel safe in their schools, which should be the safest place for them. Their families, some of the time, are what they ran from. But other times their family is safe, but they have bought into the lie that their trafficker is the only one who loves them. And so even when the trafficker might get arrested, the girls still feel such a deep sense of loyalty toward them. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about the kidnapping piece is because we just don't see that. We really yeah. honestly see the relationship as number one. And so as an organization, we've got to provide that in a healthy way. If we know that we're all driven by relationship and connection, if we don't provide that in a healthy way, they're going to go back to the unhealthy every time. Mm -hmm. Because I would rather get unhealthy attention and connection than none. That, I think something interesting that I've noticed just as a mom, and I've done ministry and just done life with a lot of moms, I have watched many times where the kid thinks it's flattering that an older somebody would mm -hmm. be interested in them. And so do the parents. There's sort of like an interesting pride thing. Even in a really healthy, normal uh, seeming family, the mom will be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this older guy is, is interested in my kid. You know, she's obviously really mature. And mm -hmm. there's this, I, I have, because of what I know, I have had to go and say, hey, here's something that maybe you might want to be, not to freak out, but it's just really interesting that a 17 year old is interested in a 12 year old mm -hmm. you know what i mean just even verbally what do they have in common you know what is it that they could i've got kids who are old souls myself mm -hmm. and so i watched my daughter not relate to kids her age and she's seen a lot of things and so she gets highly offended at people's fake problems in high school you know and mm -hmm. so and and so i the teenage angst in her is just as it's sometimes crazy as the teenage angst in the other kid who is like oh my gosh my cell phone broke and and she's like those are not real problems and uh so she's standing up and saying real problems but at the same time she she is one of those kids who older just older people are drawn to her adults are drawn to her just because of the compassion that she has in her heart and just kind of how she functions and so we've had to have a lot of safeguards with her and me saying i get that someone is paying attention to you and you know but you know let's just be real you're 14 in this situation and he's 18 in this situation and so here's what you need to know and here's the different rules that we're going to have where normally you it wouldn't be a big deal if you went with a group of friends as a 14 year old with your peers who are actually your peers to the movies that's not going to be an option for you so i understand we've been in that situation a couple of times and so as my caution would be to parents to really be involved in those relationships don't just you know where you sometimes maybe you'd, maybe you'd be a little more hands-off and no big deal i'll drop you off at this place sure that can't be the same thing you need to be a little bit more involved in those situations and maybe just 
really pray through is this a healthy safe relationship and as an adult in this situation how do I go about making my kid understand the real ramifications that could possibly mm -hmm. without freaking them out and thinking right. everyone's out to traffic yeah. them you know right. we don't yeah. want fear and I don't want my kids to mm -hmm. be fearful but that's really real I mean mm -hmm. that is just unfortunately a reality in in our society right. well I've got a, yeah it's funny I've got a 13 year old daughter um, who is we were talking earlier you guys before we started here about just tall people and so I come from a very tall family um, and I'm one of the shorter men in my family and my daughter is 13 years old and she's almost 5'10 yeah. wow. she looks like she's 16 or 17 and she's an old soul yeah. right and so and we've had the same conversation listen my son is really big but he's really immature right like he acts <laughs> yeah. like a 12 year old and he's yeah. 15 so it's different but I think something you, you've talked about a couple times that is so key in thinking about how do we really combat these kind of ideas, and you guys certainly do it on the backside a little bit, right, after people already find themselves in this situation. And one of the things you said was, you know, that for traffickers, they're willing to invest time yeah. because they understand loyalty, a sense of connection come only through time, right? There's no way to short circuit that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think for parents, maybe it's really, really important to hear the only, the best safeguard against this is time and just a, a genuine sense of who your kids are, mm -hmm. right? That there's nothing that substitutes for that, right? Like you can't you can't buy that, you can't farm it out to other people, mm -hmm. right? Like you have to invest time, and I think it seems like you know on our side a little bit from a church perspective, one of the things we see and talk about all the time is we live in such a disconnected society, right? Right, we operate under the illusion of connection right, right. because we can text anybody anytime, but that's not connection, right? And you know, and and for me, I come from a clinical health background, and so you know, having worked in clinical health for a long time, mental health for a long time, one of the things you see is you know, and you can see this on and all of the indicators, right? Rising anxiety levels, depression levels, spiking at every age group, especially mm -hmm. in teenage years right now. It's symptomatic of disconnection, right? Mm -hmm. Not knowing where I belong, not having a sense of purpose or meaning, um, which plays right into right. people who are willing to invest time, mm -hmm. right? With these motives that are horrible on the right. back end, but like you said, when all you're looking for as a, as a teenager especially is just a place where, I, where do I belong? Right, I think, so I've, I've been raised in the church, mm -hmm. pastor's kid, my you know long line of pastors. Sure. So I've seen church on all sides, and I've been mm -hmm. in just church for just ever, like really, really involved. Yeah. And I was raised in a really volatile area where prostitution was my normal. I mean, mm -hmm. I have, I've never been in that situation, but that wasn't a big deal. My high school's on the Strip in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. and so that was just, oh, you know, we'd say hi. It just wasn't yeah. scary. It wasn't weird. Gangs was just reality. Violence was just reality. And so what was normal for me is not normal for a lot of people. But I still, we had churches that saw that. And I didn't know how to verbalize this at the time. But now mm -hmm. even, even as an adult, I, I didn't know it. But now that I, I work here and, and this is what I see, our youth group, our youth leaders, our church was willing to put in more time than a trafficker. They're willing to speak more often than a trafficker. No. The people around me, we had parents in our neighborhood. And, and I mean, there were times we didn't have electricity in my house. That's a, I mean, mm. we were pretty poor. Sure. And so 
when we still had safe people in our neighborhood where most of the houses were not safe we weren't allowed after dark things like that but we still had a whole village of people around us who were willing to put in more time than the trafficker and that's all it takes yeah. I mean to me that as the prevention person and you know that's my whole focus is right now the traffickers are willing to be louder they are willing to speak more often and they are willing to put in more time than we are as parents as church as youth leaders to our kids sure. and to me that that's the bottom line and yeah. I think it just just like in any situation as adults we struggle with listening to God and listening to, to the enemy and what he whispers. So, I mean, as adults, how often are we tempted to turn and be like, you know what, that's right. I hear what you're whispering and I know that it's, I know that I know this other truth, but you're just confirming what I already know. And that's as adults, that's with sure. more developed brains. And so mm -hmm. listening to these kids, I mean, it, it really makes sense that they're so willing, if a trafficker is confirming, your parents don't understand you. I'm the one who loves you. I'm gonna help you out. What is it that you need? And if they're willing to do anything, then that's the problem is that on the other side, we have to be willing to do just as much or more. Mm -hmm. And that, that so it is that disconnected. And they listen well. Yeah, they do. Right, they listen and they they key in on the express needs, Yeah. right? Which is what, as a parent, if I'm honest, it's a hard thing to do, yeah. right? Like you wanna just tell, Right, and right. I've got a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old, so we're in that. You it's mentioned weird. earlier that you have those mornings you wake up and you're yep. like, "Oh, I'm an idiot today." <laughs> yeah. right? Like, and right. sometimes they're right about that. Right, right. right. Sometimes they're right. absolutely right yeah. about it. Um, but it's 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 time and listening. I think mm -hmm. listen to what your kids say or they don't say. Right, right, because often it's what they don't say that mm -hmm. I think keys it really is a key to kind of what they're feeling. And so I think, you know, I. One of the things we find is we talk to different agencies service, servicing and dealing with different populations is that time is that factor, mm -hmm. right? That most people, yeah, the resources are great from a financial perspective. People need those type of things as well, but so many people end up in really horrible situations because they're just trying to find who's willing to actually see them mm -hmm. and value them. Mm -hmm. And the currency of value is time, I think, right? Yeah, like, yeah, and so. Well, and genuine. You have to. Sure. Be, you have to be genuine, and I think that kids and teenagers, young adults, especially now, they have zero time for a disingenuous uh, mm. person. Yeah. And I—that's one thing. I, I, as a training coach, an education coach, I try to teach, especially the middle school and high school teachers. When I'm talking to them, it's not about being the cool teacher. You know, you standing up and cussing in front of your class so that you can fit in with them, not not going to get you anywhere. They can do that themselves. They're right. right. They right. do themselves. My children see right through you. They yeah. come home and they're all, this guy's such a dork. He's cussing in class to try to make the kids think he's cool. And yeah. that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for safe, actual grown-ups to disciple them. They mm -hmm. don't know that. They don't know that's what they're looking sure. for, but that's what we're made for. Mm -hmm. That's the nature of the order of how God created everything and mm -hmm. family and in community is that is that order of things and if we are able to teach kids how to be discipled by setting that example and being discipled ourselves and how to disciple there's no age that they need to be in order you know we're not waiting for them to be a certain age and then they can turn around and they can disciple somebody they should sure. be doing it right along with us and they should be there's a lot of separateness I think in in the church where the adults are off doing ministry moms off doing ministry dads off doing ministry and kids are just doing whatever 
So even in pastors' homes, you know, I mean, just, it really is just, it really is just everywhere. And so it, it does, I agree, it comes down to that willingness to invest that time. One of the things that I do in my house with all of my kids is we host Taco Tuesday, the last Tuesday of every month. LeBron is trying to trademark Yeah, that. seriously, I can't right, even like he's write trying, He's trying to trademark Taco don't, Tuesday. Yeah, please don't get me started. The guy has enough money. I'm going on like <laughs> Leave us Taco decades. Tuesday, man. Yeah, I'm going on several decades of Taco Tuesday at my house, and I'm like, LeBron, you've been playing basketball, okay? And I don't need to get into how well he's been playing basketball. He's just not my favorite. It's just whatever. Yeah, I guess. So, you are in the room with two uh, big LeBron fans you know and me. Whatever. And a couple who are not. Then if you can so. just give him a call and be like, if you're going to try to take Taco Tuesday, at least come to mine, you know? No. So when so what we do is our kids are allowed to invite everybody their coaches their teachers youth leaders their nice. uh, all of their friends if you want to date my kid you should have been at my house for taco tuesday a couple of times That's a great idea. and my kids are learning to disciple my kids so many times my children have come in and they say you know what is really weird is how weirded out our friends are that we're all eating dinner together mm-hmm. uh, my children get to see the real raw issues of kids not knowing what a normal family looks like a husband and wife who actually have a conversation that's kind or Mm -hmm. you know steady Mm -hmm. it's a healthy conversation or even listening to me disagree with my husband and and or be sarcastic and still be loved and and disagree with with anybody you know having those healthy conversations they get to witness all of that just over tacos it's very simple and it's usually a different crowd every single time and depending on the season of my kids it's been different but we have whole families that come in and they're all this is just weird i want to start having dinner at my house and i'm all you guys don't have dinner at your house i don't (laughs) i don't understand that and they're like well we you know we're all just kind of all over the place and dinner is a really big fantastic place to connect with your kids it's a you know i love when youth groups have dinner beforehand Mm -hmm. They get to learn how to sit. They get to have their peers say, hey, that's disgusting. Stop doing that at the table. Or, you know, is it okay if I, uh, how do I walk away from the table without being rude right now? And do I say, excuse me, or what do I do? And and just that, that's community. That's just this tiny little slice of dinner that we have. Sometimes we literally have pizza on Taco Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Try to top that LeBron James. That's exactly. what I'm going to say, yeah. And, you know, so it, it isn't, it's not some great new program that we're doing, yeah. but it's me, it's my husband and I saying, we're willing to open our house for whoever wants to come. Our neighbors are always invited. And like our, our exterminator came one time. We're like, hey, we're having tacos tonight <laughs> if you want to stay. And he's all, are you serious? My wife's out of town. That would be fantastic. And wow. my kids thought it was hilarious. He saw his name tag on. It was really great. <laughs> so, I mean, that's really simple. That is a really simple preventative measure for parents who want to stay connected to their kids and know who their friends are because that's that's a huge part of it is keeping that uh, communication open between not just your kids but the people who are calling themselves your kids' community. Yeah. I'd say that's what Jesus modeled too is yeah. I'm coming to your house for dinner. Yeah. So yeah. community is formed over, over that. And I believe too, when you think at the the age that most of the girls and boys are entering into uh, trafficking, realistically, it's around 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about the brain development at that age, yeah. it's really identity and who am I? Mm-hmm. And at that age, peers are so important. And not just peers, but relationship. And so what you think about me, I think about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if we are not showing them what to think about themselves, how to do life, I think about the people who came alongside me in my teenage years I learned from watching them how to be a good 
friend, sister, mom, wife, anything, because I was looking mm -hmm. for answers at that age. And if I didn't have healthy people to get that from, I would have gotten it anywhere I could. And so I think it's so it's, important. It's, you know, and it's funny, we, we, like you said, you assume everybody has that kind of situation in their life. Mm -hmm. But it's one of the things we found even here is, so in our cafe on Sunday mornings, we have a cafe that serves great breakfast burritos, all that stuff, right? So about almost a year ago now, we went from these small, like circular tables that sat like four or five people, and we just built all these communal tables mm -hmm. that you have to sit next to people you don't know. And it was so funny, like we didn't even think about it, we are just like, oh, that'd be good. People immediately were like mm -hmm. complaining about being uncomfortable by it, right? Yeah. They're like, mm -hmm. I don't like to sit, you know, I mean, I don't like to sit by people I don't know. and Because they're tax collectors. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? <laughs> But it's so funny, a year into it, like you show up on a Sunday morning and they're just stacked with people mm -hmm. who are completely different from one another sitting right next to each other and they're forced to have conversation a little bit because of proximity, you know, whether it's just, hey, pass the hot sauce or whatever it is, but you watch and, and one of the things that helped me kind of realize is that people don't have that. Mm -hmm. they don't. And they'll never necessarily pursue it on their own Sometimes we have to invite people towards oh, it, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. as parents, you know, everything we we know today, we learn from somebody else, right? And so, which necessitates the importance of mm -hmm. who we put in our kids' lives, mm -hmm. right. who we allow to model for them, right? Because mm -hmm. they're going to learn everything from somebody. Yeah, I agree. We try to make it intentional time, too. We eat out all the time and mm -hmm. awaken, but it's intentional. Sure. So if I take you to a restaurant, I'm going to teach you how to read a menu. I'm going to make you order. Yeah. Because a lot of the time, they just want yeah. to tell me their order for <laughs> me to order. We're yeah. going to make eye contact Practice with the waiter to or yeah. waitress. Yeah. And how do we tip? Do you know that we tip? Exactly. Why do we tip and how much? And so everything is a conversation. Yeah. They don't realize that's what's happening. But it's the intentionality behind every single thing that we do. We have to reteach. Well, that's, such, that's such an important word, intention, yeah. intentionalization, right? Like, mm -hmm. so many times I think, uh, you know, we think we have to add all of these big things to life mm -hmm. right. to make change, but it's really not. I think it's really just about intentionalizing what we already do. Um, so, that's such a good point. I was in a training last week with Texas law enforcement, mm -hmm. and uh, so I was kind of obviously an outlier. I am not Texas law enforcement, <laughs> as it turns out. Um, so, when we, when... I'm listening to them and it's specific to officers and what they're saying is just ask the questions and it doesn't have to be, you know, when you do a traffic stop, it doesn't have to be all, you know, it doesn't have to be this great mm -hmm. list of questions that are going to catch somebody doing something. Literally, you're asking somebody, how are you doing? You're asking a kid, how's everything? Are you okay? And, and he, his point was that I mean, I'm not never going to do a traffic stop. That would be illegal. But if I am, if I'm around town, I'm a, a woman standing in line next to a little kid. I'm going to engage in conversation. Sure. And that's for me. That's pretty natural because I'm a teacher, because I'm a mom, and I, I work with kids all the time. And so I can say, Hey, uh, how's it going? And you know, what's your name? Or how old are you? And and make it simple, easy. Or what's your favorite color? Or I like your shirt. I like that your shirt has tacos on it. Whatever, you know, I if yeah. your shirt has tacos on it, I'm always going to bring it up. It's yeah. just the truth of it. But that LeBron's kind of, trying to take your shirt I'm away. I'm telling you, oh, that guy is ruining my ministry. But <laughs> lose her all afternoon Googling this. <laughs> when, I know. When we are on our phones in a grocery line, we're missing some serious opportunity was the yeah. point of it. And that's 
anyone in our community that you can be doing that anywhere you are whatever your actual community is when you walk into youth group when you walk in on a sunday morning when you're sitting at the coffee shop at those uncomfortable community tables yeah. ask a question of somebody next to you you just have no idea what they're going through but then really be ready you know mm -hmm. as christians our job mm -hmm. is to be ready with our own story our job is to be ready to mm -hmm. love mm -hmm. and then when it's appropriate tell them why we're loving them sure. why mm -hmm. we're doing this you know, not like, hey, I'll love you if they already have enough of that. Yeah. That's a, a real, mm -hmm. that exchange. And so it's just really free love and just saying, hey, mm -hmm. I see you and your face is sad. Mm -hmm. We had a, an, an incident where our, our dog was in an accident and my daughter was really upset and she was driving home and she was crying and this car pulled up next to her and he said, hey, are you okay? And she, you know, shook her head yes and, and she got home and I said, did you know that guy I was following behind her? And she goes, no, he just saw me crying and asked if I was okay. That made everything, yeah. we don't know that guy. I mean, and especially because he's a man and she's a girl, he might right. have been like, I don't know if I should say anything. Sure. But she obviously was hurting mm -hmm. and he obviously saw it. And so he did the next right thing was to say, hey, are you okay? It was something so simple, but she went on and on about that. Wow. That tiny little thing, just anything like that, just being aware, being faces up out of our phones faces up out of whatever we're doing and just really mm -hmm. saying god what am i supposed to be what am i bringing into this situation and what am i leaving with yeah i think no. it's those are just really great questions no matter what your job is what your community is where where you're heading yeah. it's heavy information i think what makes a difference for me that i can go home to at night and still be able to sleep yeah mm -hmm. and i and one the stakes are high and so i'd always rather ask the question say something and be wrong mm -hmm. than not say something mm -hmm. and had been right and so that's, I would say, the biggest thing is I think of, and I've really been thinking thinking this the past probably two weeks about high, high, how high the stakes are because a woman was driving and thought she saw one of our young girls who's on the run right now. And so she called me. And so she was like, will you check out this block that she might be at? Well, it was 10 minutes by the time I got to that block. And I'm like, well, why didn't you stop? She goes, oh, well, I had my car and I didn't just want to leave it. I'm like you just placed value on your car over her life mm -hmm. and I would so much rather leave my car in the middle of the road which I have done recently <laughs> as I jumped out and yeah. full-blown ran and that that's probably a very slow pace because I don't run yeah. <laughs> but I'm running and I left my car in the middle of the road because her life has so much more value and so I think we just have to do the weightiness. I think a lot of times we're concerned about what we might seem like or the impression of a guy rolling down his window right. to speak right. to a young girl. But in his mind, he probably saw the value of what if she's not okay. Well, I think you mentioned it earlier, um, the idea that, you know, traffickers are willing to be bold and loud mm -hmm. oh, yeah. because they know we won't be. Yeah, we won't be. Right? Yeah. And so I think we have to be bolder in love and concern yes. than yes. they are in, in light of exploitation, right? Like right. so... Um, that we kind of have to stop being tried to try trying to be demure in some mm -hmm. right and there and if you're wrong take responsibility for being wrong right hey listen we're all wrong yeah, right at wrong. times like that's part of the yeah. who we are but I'd rather be wrong for out of concern yeah than to then look back and regret and go man I wish I'd been mm -hmm. a little more forceful in that way right well and that's that there's so much there's so many times where 
I'll ask a question or I've, I've heard law enforcement, they'll say, I ask the question and the parents come back with saying, hey, I appreciate you asking, you sure. know, asking that because that did mm -hmm. seem kind of weird. Uh, like the time that my six-year-old was saying to me, hey, lady, you're not even my mom. That's what she said out loud inside of Walmart. And I was like, and no one even asked. They yeah. all just let me leave with her. Yeah. And I thought, well, that was a missed opportunity. I mean, she is my child, and uh, I have DNA to prove it. But I'm just, <laughs> yeah. you know, that was her. But someone should have said something. Yeah. And I think, wow, what a missed opportunity. She was saying it like she was joking. I was... <laughs> terrified in my face and so maybe that was why they thought it was fine but someone really should have said something that would have been a great opportunity but it's just things like that I mean being willing to seem a little crazy but I think a lot of times people will say they appreciate that hey thanks that was weird if I get a phone call hey your daughter's sitting outside of her middle school is that okay no it's not okay she knows she's not supposed to be sitting out there we're running sure. late she should be inside of the building you yeah. know just things yeah community right yeah, I think no fear paralyzes us yeah and we hear all the time the problem's too big why do anything yeah, yeah. and we talk about you know you can get in a trafficking situation by just taking one step to the left sure. but we can also solve it by taking one step to the right yeah. that's right and yeah. so everybody's steps looks different mm -hmm. and so not everyone is called to be in the lives of the women and the girls that we serve but i believe we're all called to play a role agreed and just seeing someone, saying something, whatever that might be, providing a meal, inviting someone into your home for Taco Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's why I think it's so beautiful, you guys talking about these things and just bringing it up, because you're right, you hear the phrase preventing commercial sexual exploitation, and that does, that sounds so daunting. Yeah. That sounds mm -hmm. like, well, I, surely I need a degree in something. Surely I need to be an expert in something. Surely mm -hmm. I need to have experience in something. And yet you're saying, do you want to know what prevention looks like? love your family and I used to work with a I used to work with a youth pastor who would say that kids spell love T-I-M-E mm -hmm. and so you're saying like hey you want to know what prevention looks like love your family well invite people to your table mm -hmm. set an extra seat at your table and then I'm thinking as you're telling that story of just that we and how we have to be louder in love than those who want to exploit other people are and what would that have communicated to that girl if she would have saw you park your car in the middle of the street and run after her? What would that have communicated to her? Even if she wouldn't have gone with you, even if she wouldn't have changed just knowing, right. wow, Jen was willing to run after me in this neighborhood on this street, like right. that's how much she cares. Absolutely. I was down 4th Street at the bus station. And I can tell you when I got back to our drop-in center, another one of our clients was there and she has turned 18 now. And she actually just turned uh, 19 this weekend. And she walked down the stairs with me when it was just the two of us, and she said, would you still run after me? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like, she still wanted to know if somebody would still run after her. Mm -hmm. And isn't that the question everybody's asking? Yeah. Do you love me enough mm -hmm. to go out of your way mm -hmm. to prove that I have some value? Yeah. Right? Like, mm -hmm. and um, we can answer that question, yes, but our actions have to. Right. Like people read actions, man. Mm -hmm. Right? Like it's you Kids know. Kids especially. Yeah, I used to have a you know I used to have a professor who used to say this all the time. It's one of my favorite things. Like, if you want to watch what, if you really want to know what someone believes or what they value, mm -hmm. just watch what they do. Mm -hmm. Right? We live in a words culture, mm -hmm. right? Where people mouth off about stuff, but their actions are inconsistent so often. Yeah. Right? And. Um, and I know that with my kids. My, my kids are quick to catch me, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. being hypocritical in any yeah, way whatsoever, <laughs> right? Um, and and I think that's mm -hmm. such an idea is that people just want to know that they're valuable. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't think of a better way to speak value to people than saying, listen, I'm willing to step outside of my norm yeah. 
for your good. Yeah. Right. Um, and love, yeah. love is always inconvenient, man. It's always, oh, yeah. it's always inconvenient. And it's, sorry, it's interesting when I talk to educators, teachers have such a, they're overworked and underpaid. It's just the truth of it. And no matter I'm married what, to one, so yeah. yeah so really, it. no matter where you go, I mean, it just, it's a really huge responsibility because you're not just delivering academics. You, and in my classrooms, my philosophy is academics come second, which seems yeah. crazy, but it works every single time. Sure. As an educator, if I'm willing to be, to put in that time, that relationship and be genuine with the kids, I've, I've had probably every year I have at least one student that comes in and they sleep in my class. Mm-hmm. Some teachers would just be beside themselves. That's not why you're here. Wake up. And they just would be offended over it over and over and over again. And I've talked with teachers and that is, that's their response. And I, my question is, have you asked them why they're sleeping? Mm-hmm. We had, yeah. I, my first year of teaching kindergarten, we had a little boy that would come and he would sleep and it was two hours and 45 minutes. And the teacher was, the other teacher, I was a co-teaching, she was so mad that he kept falling asleep. And I said, well, what? Have we figured out why? I was 19 at the time, you know, but because that's the history that my history caused me to think there's probably a reason why he's struggling right now. So his mom had just gone to prison and he had to go to work with his dad every night cleaning offices. Mm. He's five years old. He shouldn't be carrying that weight. And, but he needed to be in kindergarten so his dad could sleep that two hours before he went back to work. So that, you know, I mean, it was his dad was just barely making it. So we were able to make some accommodations for him so that he was able to get a little bit more sleep. Dad was able to bring him in earlier because we were there anyway. He would sleep before class. I mean, how simple is that? A lot of people just don't think about that, but Mm -hmm. that asking of why are kids behaving the way Mm -hmm. that they are? And that's typically, you asked about some indicators for kids and from the education standpoint, Mm -hmm. typically what I have found, and I've had this experience quite a bit, where this is the student on this timeline they behave a certain way this is their personality this is who they are every day and then they show up one day and they're a hundred percent different yeah. i mean like mm-hmm. what what the heck has just happened to you your face is different you're hunched over i mean sometimes it's it's really physical yeah. and sometimes your dad is a correctional officer and he's missed it you yeah. know so it, it's just really that has been a situation that i have had yeah. And I said, does she have a cell phone? And well, yeah, but you know, she's 10 now. And, and well, something's happening. Have you guys looked at it? What are, she was on, we're talking about getting to know you. And in the first week of school, I had them make these little posters and her favorite thing was her phone. And, and she named all of these apps. She's on the top five apps. She alone <laughs> was on yeah. the top five apps mm-hmm. that the FBI has put out to say, these are not great apps for kids. These are apps that traffickers are using. She was on all of them. And so that was a, for me, because I had that knowledge as an educator, that was something I just kept. And and I told her parents at the open house, uh, we had our parent conferences. I said, you know, I just, I don't mean to be dramatic, but this is my experience. And it might just be something you guys watch. So that was in August. So then by October, something had gone wrong. She was suicidal. She was, I mean, it it turned fast. And so I was all, hmm. I had someone watch my class, and I was like, we're doing something right now, right now. I called her parents in. I called in my administrators. I was all, Some, I want your phone. To, let's figure out what's going on. And sure enough, she was being sorted over through uh, one of the apps. So wow. mm-hmm. she was 10. And it was that fast. Mm-hmm. But it was just for me, because I had put myself in a position to be aware, we were able mm-hmm. to do something about it right away. And her dad was, I can't believe I missed this. I work with these kids. I can't believe I missed this. Mm-hmm. But it's just... Mm-hmm. 
It really is that simple. A change in personality is a big red flag. And sure. So it could be that you're really quiet and now you're outgoing, or you're really social and now you're isolating. Mm -hmm. Eye contact, falling asleep in class, but really just any shift, mm -hmm. I would say is gonna be the first indicator that something might be going on. And so we talked about vulnerabilities. I would say that social media is probably one of the biggest vulnerabilities mm -hmm. that now kids from really early ages have access to. Yeah. And well, even they, they started a campaign now where they're saying wait until eight because parents are giving their kids smartphones before eight years old. That's the campaign. Wait till your kids are eight years old. Oh, I'm assuming gosh. they chose eight because it rhymes. My experience is logic. they just like, like, yeah, I'm like, right. yeah, I mean, right. is waiting till eight like a victory? Like, <laughs> what are you, second grade today? You're, third? you're approaching third grade. Yeah. But I know kindergartners of them, right? Like, oh, I mean, yeah. I have yeah. friends who I'm just like, Mm -hmm. And their parents are like, well, we have parental controls. Uh, well, I'm just going to tell you that great if I ever need help with my cell phone, I hand it to a kid, and exactly. I'm like, hey, can you? Right. They know how to get through all of those. Every parent, and she knows. Yeah. Oh. Every parental control yeah. you can put yeah. on a smartphone, your kid can find They're on YouTube know. how to undo it. Exactly. So, <laughs> and are there? I was just curious as you were saying that. Are there any kind of lead-in questions that you could give anyone listening? that if you are close to a kid or a teenager and you notice a change in personality, um, are there any kind of good leading questions you found for that? Other than, or I don't know if it's just as simple as, hey, it seems like maybe something's wrong. Is there, like, have you just kind of found good open-ended questions to get to the bottom of what, what's leading to this change in personality? Uh, if you've already established relationships, so mm -hmm. from, if it's my own child, it's really not what I'm asking them, it's where I'm asking them these questions. In the car is my favorite place, mm -hmm. in bed before, as I'm tucking them in, or they're teenagers, so frankly they tuck me in now, I don't stay up that late. Yeah. And so, you know, as we're having that kind of, it's quiet, there's no, a lot of eye contact during that time, they tend to be a lot more open. Uh, the car mm -hmm. is my favorite place to bring up things. I am outright with my kids, I say things like, you know, and not to the whole car. If it's me alone with my son, sure. I'll say, hey, has anyone tried to show you anything inappropriate? If, you know, have you ever looked at porn? Oh my gosh, mom. I'm like, I know, I know, but now answer the question. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, and so, but he's not having to look me in my face. Mm -hmm. And side to side is key. It is side yeah. to side is such mm -hmm. a big deal. And so in the car is a really great place to ask those really pointed questions. Hey, I've been noticing that you, you just seem down. You seem frustrated or I've noticed fill in the blank behavior and that just isn't typically like you is everything okay and then really knowing who their people are and mm -hmm. I ask a lot of questions because prevention is my jam I ask a lot of questions like hey what would you do if you were in a situation mm -hmm. and you knew uh, the most recent I had with my high school daughter I said what would you do if you knew one of your friends was being groomed? And so she knows what that is because I've, mm -hmm. I want my kids to know what that looks like. We have found a lot mm -hmm. of times girls don't even know mm -hmm. they're being groomed. Right. And they'll be like, we're in a presentation, and they're all, wait a second, <laughs> hold on. Mm -hmm. And there's, there are just that eye opening, them knowing what those indicators are to watch out for themselves. So I said, you know, what would you do? And, you know, at first she said, I don't really know. 
I think I would talk to them. And, you know, I'm like, okay, that's good. Mm-hmm. Would you say, hey, are you being groomed? You know, how would you go about that conversation? Mm-hmm. Because... Are you the, being trafficked? Are you being trafficked? Uh, <laughs> I don't think so, you know? So, so I mean, there's there's mm-hmm. definitely... I think there's a lot more what not to say. Mm-hmm. You know, are you a victim of sex trafficking? Was probably a, you know, a hard yeah. pass. Yeah. <laughs> don't, yeah. You're not going to want that, that right. question. Some people as humans, we tell kids in schools all the time, just go up to your friend, hey, how was your weekend? Yeah. How are you? I see that you're falling asleep in class. What'd you do last night? What'd you do this weekend? I see you got a new tattoo. Tell me about it. Yeah. And just start asking open-ended mm-hmm. dialogue questions. Open-ended. That's the key. Which is weird that that happens in high school now. Hey, I see you got a new tattoo. Right? Like, um, Well, yeah. it, I mean, it's it's illegal without parent permission. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I, so yeah. if it's happening, it's definitely uh, something on a radar. As mm-hmm. an educator, I would, be, uh, I would be like, hey, do you want to come and have lunch with me? Because I've noticed this. Sure. Uh, and I would say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, do you guys want to come in and have lunch? And so uh, my kids actually like having lunch with me, so it's a little bit easier. I'm lovable. But I'll say, you know, hey, come mm-hmm. on in. And so we've created rapport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I always have lunch with the kids who I are on my radar for there's some something going on, whatever it is, yeah. or yeah. kids from single-family homes, or if I know there's some kind of struggle going on, which ends up being a lot of my students, just you know, the nature of where I've worked previously as an educator but it's a lot but that small space again that over lunch you know we're eating not making a lot of eye contact I can ask a lot of questions or like I said you know before bed or just those those kind of down times when you're at the dinner table those shouldn't be the conversations that you're having it should be very positive where your kids are always wanting to come and they view dinner time and that together time as something positive and you still want to ask questions you know hey I, I saw that you were really struggling with that paper and I love that you kept pushing through I know you were so tired how did it turn out Mm -hmm. things like that you know you want them well I'm not done yet okay well then I don't have to be like I can't believe you're not done with your paper yet it was due yesterday or whatever but now I've got that in my bank that tonight before bed I'm going to be like hey how can I help you get this done or you know Mm -hmm. what's what's the struggle what's the hold up what do you need well I think that's such an important point is when you talk about doing things like a taco Tuesday Mm -hmm. something like that with your kids you want to create a relational environment where they want to be yeah Mm -hmm. Right, and so you can shut that down quickly by making it a place where you, like you said, hey, why didn't you get that done? Right. You know, and um, and it, and I think that's such a big thing. I, you know, um, for me, I've coached high school football for twenty years, and I do it here, and it's outside of my job. I don't have to do it, right? Like I don't get paid to do it, but I love it because we we've been talking about the idea that. One of the key indicators is change in behavior, whether oh, yeah. it's physical manifestation or emotional, whatever. But you won't notice that if you don't have a relationship with someone. Mm-hmm. Right. If you don't know right? they're normal, you don't know what's exactly. Changed. And so you, you've unless you've invested the time on the front end, yeah. mm-hmm. you'll never notice a change in that. And so I think again, it's back to that idea of what's the best way to address so many like negative um, kind of situations for for teenagers especially is know who they are, mm-hmm. right? And then be cognizant of if there is a change in behavior, okay. right? That we we all do everything we do for a reason, right? Like we don't do I anything so. without, uh, yeah, you yeah, know, whether we recognize <laughs> it or not, yeah. right? Like there's a reason we behave the way we behave, right? right? Um, and so then being willing to ask the question, you know, hey, why? Why? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and not in, in, in a condescending or, you know, kind of threatening way, but just, hey, let's figure out, a, let's figure out kind of why this is happening yeah. right now. Um, 
There's another tool that I use. Um, I've not figured out how to roll it over into my my work here yet, mm -hmm. but I've used it with, so my oldest is 21 uh, out of the house, my um, second oldest mm -hmm. daughter out of the house. And we've, since the time they were about eight or nine, where they could really start writing, we've kept a journal between the two of us. Mm -hmm. And it's a place where we, we pass it back and forth, we hide it in each other's rooms, and it's just it's totally personal. And so we sure. set some ground rules. Is this stuff that we're going to talk about with daddy? Do I have permission to share some things if I feel like they're a little bit more concerning? All kinds of crazy comes out in those journals because well, they're in their own space. A lot of times it's at night before bed and they're just in there on their own and they're able to share some things that maybe was mm -hmm. too hard. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I even hear about things that are going on with friends that they wouldn't feel comfortable saying to my face. And I've done the same thing in classrooms with a few students mm -hmm. who were especially difficult to reach. And we did the same thing where I gave them a composition journal and I would say, you can write in this during writing time. You can write in this anything you want and I won't read it unless you flag it and ask me to. There's never a time where I've had a student who hasn't wanted me to read what they write in their journal. Oh, wow. And you know, it's the same kind of idea as cutting is a type of communication. You sure. know, they do that and a lot of times they'll do it in a, a, a place where they get to choose when they show you. It isn't sure. on their hands or, you know, yep. someplace visible. Sometimes it's picking at the face, things like that. But a lot of times it's I can cover this up with my sleeve and show you when I'm ready, yep. when I'm ready to talk. And so if someone, I've had a girl walk up to me, I, she was never my student and she said, her friend came up and said, she needs to use the restroom. And I said, can she ask me? And she said, I need to use the restroom, like really quietly. And I said, sure, no problem. She went into the bathroom. She switched, she had a tank top over a sweatshirt. She went and switched into just the tank top. She tied the sweatshirt around her waist and she walked back up to me and showed me her arm. And there were fresh mm -hmm. cuts that she had just mm -hmm. done, but there were definitely old cuts. Sure, sure. She needed to tell me that her mom had left her uh, to go, her mom was being trafficked. And so she was essentially homeless and her mom would dis this girl was in sixth grade, she's 11 years old. Mm -hmm. I don't I didn't I didn't even know her name but she for whatever reason saw in me that I was somebody who was willing to listen I immediately again stopped what I was doing and I said hey come talk to me I said what do you need to what is it she ended up writing quite a bit of her story rather than being able to verbally mm -hmm. share it uh, because our counselor at the time was an unsafe person and so where normally we would send our kid to the counselor uh, she said I will not talk to him and so um, well, he's since been fired for other things, but mm. <laughs> but she mm -hmm. did not feel safe with sure. him. She felt safe with me, a total stranger, but I was a safe enough adult for her to approach. And because I didn't just, well, kids cut, or I didn't just, she had some big It's stuff. not my place. Yeah, yeah it, right. It, it, I mean, yeah. I, I could, I did tell her teacher, hey, have you noticed this? Her teacher had noticed this. Why didn't you say something? Well, I didn't, I just thought, I didn't know. She didn't know that she was trying to communicate something. Mm -hmm. And that's on the, that's on the school district. They, teachers need to know that kind of sure. stuff. What does mm -hmm. this mean? They need to be, we aren't just teaching math. Yeah. I just, we just aren't anymore. And frankly, mm -hmm. your kid's not ever going to learn math until they have all this other stuff right. handled. They have no capacity for it. There's well, none you of guys mentioned a couple of times earlier Maslow, right? Like yeah, that, that whole right. idea that if we've got all these bottom levels of that hierarchy that aren't being addressed. Right. We're never getting to the ideology stuff, right, the right. theoretical stuff. Like, right? Like, and we, I think we kind of live in a culture sometimes where we think that everybody has the bottom levels. Yeah. Like, well, filled it's up. America, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, we're, right. we're, we're prosperous, man. We're, but we're dysfunctional as we can be, mm -hmm. right? Like, and that, which speaks to the idea that we, you've got so much of our population trying to talk about these upper yep. levels of right. justice and, 
so many people don't care about that because they're just trying to, yeah, I'm just trying to get something to eat. I'm just trying to have a place to live. I just want to know that someone loves me somewhere. Right, right. Right? I, I did a memorial yesterday for a guy who was 35 and my one of my son's best friend's dad mm. who passed away at 35 and um, from some addiction issues. And um, he was in the hospital for the last five days of his life. And so the family was with him. And one of the things, I was, as I was talking to... Um, his ex-mother-in-law, who was kind of handling everything. And she said, you know, two days before he passed, we're in the hospital room, and he said, out of nowhere, just started crying. And he said, I never realized you guys loved me. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, number one, great that before he passed, right. that was a recognition. But wouldn't that have been incredible 15 years before? Because it probably would have been, yeah. we yeah. wouldn't be sitting here mm-hmm. doing this today. Right. Right? right. Um, and how, this, how incumbent it is on all of us to take the time to express to other people. Yeah. Right? And, and there are always people who struggle with accepting mm-hmm. that from anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly. But that's not a reason not to remind them all the time that, man, you are... Your value, you're greatly loved, yeah. right? I'd rather someone mm-hmm. be so tired of hearing me say it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Than uh, the opposite. And does anybody ever get tired of hearing that? No. no right? Like they, no. your kids will say, oh, yeah. I don't need to hear that. They do. They need to hear it. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Well, it sounds so impactful to me, Chantel, you sharing about giving the journals to the kids in your class and letting them know. I won't read anything you don't want me to read. And you've never had a kid not ask yeah. you to read something. And I think it can be so tempting for me to think, well, they probably don't want to talk about this or they seem, a, or but I've got to think of something cool to say, or they'd probably rather talk about the new Taylor Swift album mm-hmm. or whatever. And not that there's not a place for that, but to be reminded, whether it's a kid or adult, wherever you've never had somebody who's not wanted mm-hmm. to share their heart with you, who yeah. hasn't said, actually, I do want you to see some places in my heart. And to me, that emboldens me and that encourages me to go ahead and take that step and just assume yeah. that there probably is something they want to talk about, whether it's today or not, yeah. put in the time, because there's going to be a time they want to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it's our human nature, right? We want everyone to know our story. We want to talk about ourselves. We are... You know, if you're at a get-to-know-you table, even if you're an introvert, you have parts of you that you want seen. We want to be seen, and we want to be heard. And so if the only people who are seeing and hearing us, even if that's not true, like in your case, Mm. that wasn't true with that man, but that was his perception. And so our job is to figure out perception is truth, especially Mm -hmm. for kids. Their perception is their truth. My... I have a kid who thought she was allergic to, I don't remember what the food was, forever. But she wasn't. I was. I am. That's mm-hmm. my allergy. You're not yeah. allergic. I'm allergic. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But it just had come up so many times and she fully had convinced herself. She's like, all right, sweet. I'm going to, I don't remember what the food was, avocado or something. She's going to keep eating it now. I mean, she was yeah. little when we had this conversation. But she, we take on what's around us and it just becomes our, our hard truth, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. it is. And as kids, it just becomes our hard truth. We don't really have a fundamental of, of reason there, you know, we could get into the whole frontal lobe is not developed and that's where reason happens. And we're asking these kids to, to come up with reasons why they're doing these things. And they legitimately don't even have the portion of their brain to even tell you They, they have no idea. They just are reactive. And so if we can get them to uh, begin to see other people's perspectives through things like serving in the community, going on mission trips, looking and seeing 
all the, I mean, so many kids will say, oh my gosh, my parents don't understand, fill in the blank, or, and my life is so hard, I can't have a cell phone, and everyone else has a cell phone, and mm-hmm. yeah. that's very difficult. I right have to there. wait yes. till eight. Yeah, yeah. wait till <laughs> eight, oh my gosh. And, but yeah. then once they start seeing real struggles, it's very difficult for them to even keep saying things like that. Yeah. And because there's a, a really different truth that they have seen. They've gone to places where these kids have no shoes, they have no food, they're literally sleeping in a field of sugar cane, no roof, nothing. They just work all day and then they lay down and they, they sleep in where they work. And they're, you know, six years old. And so that's their reality for the rest of their mm-hmm. life until someone comes in and, and teaches them how to be more self-sustaining or to raise the bar on their, on their mentality level mm-hmm. of what, what their possibilities are. And so when your kids see things like that, and even in our own cities, which I'm a huge proponent of discipleship and ministry in your own city, sure. then, I mean, Taco Tuesday, that's what we're doing. And so our kids seeing those kind of things, it really starts to change their perspective. And they get through that. I just, I love watching my kids who are adults now. They are, um, some of the stuff that maybe they didn't understand, they're mm-hmm. understanding better. And so they're able to see, gosh, I really don't have it as bad as I, mm-hmm. as what I thought or and they're really able to see into the lives of other kids how many times they come and they say your parents are so weird they hold hands why do your parents hold hands I kissed my husband when I got home one day and this Mm -hmm. kid just freaked out he was like why did you do that he was not even kidding around he's 12 years old and he was from a really broken home and I really made light of it because I knew what was going on in his house but it hurt my heart so much that he doesn't, that's not normal that his mom comes home. Mm-hmm. My husband had been gone for four days. I came and I just gave him, it was totally a PG kiss. Not no. G, but it was PG. I didn't even know the kid was there. Okay. Yeah, I just yeah. was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, there's my husband. And so I just walked in and I was like, hey. And everyone, he's, the boy was over sweeping for Taco Tuesday, mm-hmm. but he was there helping us get ready because yeah. he'd rather be cleaning at our house than at his house where his parents are not functioning. Yeah. And so for me, I just thought, man, that's so eye opening. Mm-hmm. But that affected my kids. We talked about that story. Why did he, and they're like, why did he say that? And I said, well, think about what his house is like. What does that tell us about his house? And they're, you know, they're able to be a lot more compassionate and and outward thinking in those Mm -hmm. situations. So we've spent, and this has been our longest podcast by far so far, (laughs) but it's been awesome because the conversation has been. 30 minutes, I was like, that's never going to happen. No, yeah, it's like, so. So you I didn't know, know about that time. We, we have it's a, two we, thirty minutes. We have a suggested, <laughs> you know, but but it's been such a great conversation. And I think you guys have done such a good job of just really, you know, highlighting everyday things that I think we just kind of brush past mm-hmm. because we live unintentional lives so often, right? Reactive lives, and um, and so other than things we've talked about, how people can kind of be aware in their own settings and their own, um, you know, just being aware. What are some ways that people could join? Because hopefully for us in this podcast, we're not just trying to shine light on people who are bringing hope. We want to encourage everyone, find the way that you can be part of spreading hope, right? Um, and we use kind of this, this quote a lot where we say, you know, you can do one of two things. You can either curse the darkness or you can light a candle, mm-hmm. right? Cursing the darkness never made it less, mm-hmm. right? Like you never walk away and things are changed dramatically yeah. because you cursed, uh, you complained about something. Um, but you guys are certainly like shining candles in really, really dark places, um, and bringing light to people's lives. If someone hears this today and they go, listen, I'm not sure what I can do, but I know I need to do 
more than I am. Yeah. How can they get in touch with you guys? How can they join? Um, you know, and again, I want people to kind of not get in that, well, I don't have a skill set. I don't have knowledge. I don't, back to what we talked about almost this entire time, I think is what everybody has is time, mm -hmm. right? It's just a matter of whether they're willing to give it or not. Sure. Right? right? And for every yes, we have to say a no. Um, and so if someone comes to a place today and they're like, well, I'm willing to say no to some things in my life right now because I feel like maybe there are some yeses, some better yeses for me. Mm -hmm. um, how can they do that with, with Awaken? So the easiest place to start would be our website, awakenreno.org. There is a Get Involved tab. And then our volunteer coordinator, Stephanie Sherman, is the one who would get back to them. Okay. And really figuring out where our needs are, but also what your skill set is. Sure. And so Stephanie is amazing at knowing how to plug people into mm -hmm. the different areas. Mm -hmm. So she does kind of chunks at a time of volunteer informational. If you want to be a mentor, that would be a separate orientation. Okay. If you want to be on our tabling team, that's an additional orientation apart sure. from just the volunteer informational and so really the first place to start would be that volunteer informational okay and so as soon as you do email in Steph will give you those dates gotcha. there is a place for everybody in this it is going to take the entire community standing up mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to see this end and I really do believe that we can see this end yeah, yeah and uh, you know some of the the current needs I know that we have mm -hmm. we do have boys uh, we mm -hmm. don't work mm -hmm. with uh, boys necessarily or males necessarily but mm -hmm. we have uh, boys who identify as girls right now sure we need male mentors uh, okay. to come in and to work with these boys who are not gonna initially just need to evangelize to them or tell sure. them what they're doing is not okay or or you know that they need to change in some way that isn't it's so yeah. it's been difficult yeah. but we need men mm -hmm. to step up and 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 then even in uh, for the like, boys but also for the girls yeah, there's something healthy. so healing when our girls and women get to experience a healthy male who doesn't just want sex from yeah. them. Or don't want anything. Anything. Just to be, mm -hmm. to show up and just be, it amazes mm -hmm. them. I, yeah. a girl yesterday said, you guys work with law enforcement? You talk with law enforcement? Mm -hmm. Because they're so untrusted. And so we both do. And so mm -hmm. I said, yeah. And actually, you know, there's some really great people. And she's all, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she's asked me this question that wasn't the first time yeah. she's asked it's been over and over so she yeah. knows the Hoping answer for a different response. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but every time my mm -hmm. experience with law enforcement has been really fantastic too. Mm -hmm. not always I mean I've had I've had cops pull me over when I was a kid for you know ridiculous things or sure. be jerks to me because of really where I was and you know the the neighborhood I was living in but on the whole as an adult and when I've needed law enforcement they've been really fantastic and so that little conversation we need law enforcement we need first responders we need people to come in and be not to trigger our girls but to come in and be in a healthy safe environment and and to teach them things like mm -hmm. what a side hug yeah. what's the benefit of a side hug versus yeah. any other kind of hug and and uh, or just that I don't always need to touch you every time that I'm near you even sure. you know yeah. not to go against what you're you know you're hug uh, analogy <laughs> earlier but you know that that respecting of those boundaries especially with men that they can have just a conversation with them mm -hmm. walk away and that's the end of it you know we're not gonna maybe you won't even see them again but just that they were able to have a normal healthy conversation yeah. and then um, we from my perspective with with the work that I do because I have so much training in education and because I have so much 
so many strategies and skills that I can pass on to educators, to counselors, to mm -hmm. uh, the principals. I need to just be involved in those schools. I need, yeah. you know, so we have a, a campaign we're about to push out where uh, different, you can have me come in and I will actually lead professional development for your teachers mm -hmm. and talk to them about a lot of the stuff that we talked about today, but really specific mm -hmm. for in the classroom. Yeah. Strategies that I've used, how they've worked, how it increases test scores when you approach a kid social and emotion socially and emotionally and that is your main focus because you know that that's all that they can take right now the academics we're just natural learners as humans we yeah. want to know the information and these kids want to be in school it doesn't seem like it that's not the vibe they're giving you or the words that they're saying to you but they really genuinely want to have that as a safe space and so um, I can I can lead professional development and then even in youth groups I can come and I can adopt mm -hmm. a youth group and and uh, typically it's for a month and so we do a parent night mm -hmm. where we talk to the parents the youth leaders all of the children's ministry leaders and just some things mm -hmm. that they need to be aware of yeah. and then uh, we do a Q&A with parents and give them all that information and then the next three weeks I actually mm -hmm. lead I, I either co-lead or I lead the youth group and uh, and I come in and we talk about a few different things mm -hmm. of just being an advocate for your peers you know are you at risk and what do you need to be careful of you sure. know what do you need to be aware of mm -hmm. knowing your home environment or knowing what you've been exposed to or or this Maslow's idea we talk about all of that and really talk about their identity comes from Christ mm -hmm. we talk about what it means I call it starting your own echo I think you guys mm -hmm. were saying it differently earlier but if the trafficker is the one who's identifying you mm -hmm. and especially if they are repeating what you've already heard you're you're stupid you are only good for what I can sell you for, you are, you know, whatever, whatever line it is, whatever is your biggest vulnerability, no one's going to love you like I love you. What's happening is the trafficker is being the echo of their identity rather than a student or a person starting their own echo. I tell you who I am, not the other way around. No. I know who I am through Jesus Christ and how God has created me to be. And so I'm going to let you know, not the other way around. Like, I want a whole little army of middle schoolers yeah. that are all, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you can say that, but I don't know you, I'm not mm -hmm. affected by you, and I know who I am. Yeah. So that's my goal. <laughs> we used to, I think we had a, there's this old saying, right, from, I don't know if it started in the South, but my grandfather said it all the time. He used to tell my brother and I, you know, you're not what people call you. Yeah. You are what you answer to. It's true, yeah. Right, like good. that sense of identity is a safeguard against mm -hmm. so many things because you determine your own path at that point, yeah. right? Like mm -hmm. that I don't I don't feel the need to be affirmed by right, exactly. other people because I have a sense of affirmation, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And so I think um, that's such a valuable idea. Mm -hmm. um, so, well, thank you guys so much for coming in today. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, if you are listening today and you're looking for a place to get involved, um, I can't think of a better one than Awaken. Can I plug one more event? Sure you can. Our annual banquet is coming up November 16th, okay. and it'll be at the Pepper Mill. I believe the event starts at 6, doors open at 5. Nice. But we'd love to have everyone there, and it's a great way just to figure out who we are and sure. the different services also that we provide. Yeah. Cool. Well, Jen, Chantel, thank you guys so much for coming thank in today, and uh, thanks for all you're doing. Yeah, yeah. thank you for having us.